Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have a Bible, please open to Exodus 31. Exodus 31. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screens, but there's also one in the chairs in front of you. Exodus chapter 31. I'm going to read this passage. And then we're going to pray. But we're going to read this passage, which is a beautiful invitation to embrace your need for rest and to experience God's fatherly care. So I'm hoping as we read this that we all find the rest our soul needs. So Exodus 31, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read, then we're going to pray. And Yahweh said to Moses... You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, am transforming you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul will be cut off from among his people. Six days shall all your work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign between me and the people of uh, of Israel that in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Let's pray. Father, we all have so many demands on our life. Those demands don't stop because we're gathered together. But Lord, you have provided this amazing grace, this, this means of rest so that we can participate and experience your transformation of us. That by resting, we would take our death grip that we have off of our work, off of our lives, and that we would open our hands and trust you. And by doing so, you would realign our loves and our worship and help us to experience your fatherly care. God, I pray that we would, through your word, embrace our need for rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in an age where work is constantly changing, okay? The job you have, that's not your mama's job, okay? We're so connected. Technology has completely changed the way we work. Uh, You're not competing anymore for jobs with people in your hometown. You're competing with jobs for everybody. You're competing with everybody for jobs. Um, And one marketing expert says this puts a lot of pressure on people. He says it like this. If you're not extraordinary... You're completely invisible. If you're not extraordinary, you're invisible. And we all feel this pressure, this pressure to be connected. We're always just one ping or vibrate away from the office just seeping into our lives. There, that, that's totally new. That this, this invasion of work, this, this blend of uh, your personal life and your professional life where it's being blended together and really your professional life is winning out. That's new. But what isn't new 
is this pressure to excel. That's, that's been around for forever. Just ask Peter Tripp. The year was 1959, and rock and roll was just starting to find its way into the American mainstream. And Peter Tripp was a DJ for WMGM in New York City, and he wanted to stand out. Think about it, rock and roll is exploding. You don't really think about it, like that creates this demand for DJs, and you have to be the best. And so in an effort to stand out, he did this insane stunt that um, sleep doctors are still talking about to this day. He did a 201-hour wake-a-thon. So that's eight days where he said, I'm not going to sleep at all, and I'm just going to host my radio show in a glass cube in the middle of Times Square, and I'm going to, we're doing it live, it's going to be just, the whole thing's going to be broadcasted, and I'm not going to sleep for eight days. And so uh, doctors and psychologists were there, and they were watching him, and they were uh, taking note of it, and they noticed that when he went into the cage, he was this really happy, cheery guy. They described him as like almost like a politician. He's kissing babies. He's waving. Um, he was just a really happy guy. But they noticed, after a few days, some things started to change. At about day two or day three, he started getting crabby, like really, really angry. Uh, he was doing all these weird things in the cube. He had a barber come in and give him a haircut. He actually snapped at his barber so hard it made the barber cry. Uh, which people said was totally out of character for him. Then we started getting to day six and day eight. It started to get a little darker. He started hallucinating. I started freaking out. He, started, he saw spiders in his shoes, and he was freaking out about that. He thought one of the doctors uh, who was watching him, he thought he was an undertaker who came to, like, take him to die. And so he freaked out. He ran out of the cage, ran into Times Square, and was just crying. Um, when the experiment was done, he did it. And it's actually inspired a lot of copycats. Uh, one guy, the record right now, I believe, is 11 days. But just for a frame of reference, uh, we learned a lot about sleep from this. Um, the Guinness Book of World Records, as one sleep expert pointed out, uh, they let a man go up to the upper atmosphere of the Earth's atmosphere and jump out free fall, jump out breaking the sound barrier with his body and then pulling a parachute, but they won't let you do sleep deprivation like the longest time. That's how dangerous this was. And we learned this from Peter Tripp. Um, his wife said that the man who came out of that glass cage was not the same man who went into it. Uh, doctors said, like, he was totally different, and a lot of people think it was because of the lack of sleep. Uh, they used to, th- in the 60s, you know, it's tough guys, like, you know, we don't need sleep. Uh, and they thought skipping out on sleep was more like skipping a meal. Just eat more later, and you'll, you'll be fine. But now sleep experts are saying, no, it, it's more like breathing, and, and we learned it from Peter Tripp. Uh, if you miss oxygen, you're just out. And so Tripp was never the same. He, uh, his wife ended up divorcing him. He ended up fighting with his boss. He got fired from that job, bounced around to, to radio stations, ended up ultimately leaving uh, the radio world altogether, became a salesman, uh, and ended up dying of a stroke alone in Northridge, California. Uh, And a lot of people think that this uh, event in his life, that sleep stunt, was what caused him uh, to just throw his life off the rails. Just think about that for a second. In an effort to stand out and be extraordinary, to help his career, he ultimately ended up wrecking his career, and maybe even his life. He had this relentless devotion, and it actually ended up destroying the thing he was trying to create, to protect. And uh, Peter Tripp is not alone in that relentless devotion. Actually, in fact, many U.S. workers consider a relentless devotion to their job as a necessity for success. Uh, Many take pride in their workaholic tendencies. So um, 
many people, I'm a millennial, and maybe this is just me being defensive, but a lot of people think millennials are lazy. But the data coming back is saying that we're not. That millennials are actually taking pride in working 50, 60, 80 hour weeks. Um, I have a good friend, he's an executive at a major corporation, and that corporation had unlimited vacation time. And I was like, yo, tell me about that. That's awesome. And he's like, it, it doesn't really matter. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, nobody takes it. We have this thing, but we don't take it because it's, like, it's almost like this test, an act of weakness. Are you really dedicated? Are you going to be the first one in, the last one out? Hmm? Are you going to really work or are you going to take your vacation? And, and this is actually really bad for us. I mean, uh, th- this is literally killing us and it's exhausting. It's not even helping productivity. Um, for example, and I verified this uh, this week kind of, I was talking to someone about Germany. Workers in Germany on average work 400 hours less than Americans. And Germany has one of the strongest economies in the world right now. Think about that for a second. They're working 10 full work weeks less than us and they're doing fine. Okay, so we're kidding ourselves to think that we need to work this much to succeed. What if there's a different way? What if there's something else to our work? Well, that's what this passage invites us into. It invites us into approaching our work in a different way. It's inviting us to look to the maker and the creator of work to see his design for work. And this passage is amazing. This passage is ultimately inviting all of us to embrace, not just admit, but embrace that our need for rest and experience God's fatherly care. When we approach our work from that perspective, it transforms us like this passage talks about. So this passage is going to be an invitation to build a rhythm into your life, a rhythm called Sabbath. And so uh, there's a lot of baggage about that word Sabbath, and I just want to unpack that for a second. Uh, I want to give you a definition of Sabbath, and then we're going to also talk about what it isn't. So what is Sabbath? What is this idea of resting? Well, Sabbath is this, ceasing from work for the purpose of physical and spiritual rejuvenation. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about Sabbath. This is literally what it means. Ceasing from work for the purpose of physical and spiritual rejuvenation. That's what it is. Let's talk about what Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not anti-work, okay? The Bible, more than any other piece of ancient wisdom, affirms the goodness of work. Part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are workers. This is not anti-work. This is not me up here being lazy, trying to tell you like, hey, we don't like work. Uh, Mark just announced we're doing jobs for life. Um, it's, it's a means of connecting people to work. We believe that uh, you are going to be most flourishing when you are connected to work. We love, love work. Sabbath is not anti-work. It is meant as a counterbalance. It's meant as a means to, to just unwind, to refresh yourself so that you can be rejuvenated and work well. Sabbath is also not meant to be a burden. Um, every passage of scripture basically that we're going to be looking at today comes from a section of the Bible called the law, okay? And I know you're like, wait, you're just trying to put another thing on me I have to do. Like, hey, you're not really honoring God unless you do this. And that's not my intention at all today. My intention today is not to give you a law. All right, we're under grace. We live on this side of the cross. Um, my, My intention is not to do that at all. 
Um, one, my friend who's an Old Testament scholar, he gives this helpful analogy of thinking about how do we uh, apply the law, God's law to our life. And he says this, uh, I'm an adult. I don't have a bedtime. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was 12, I had a bedtime. It was a rule. Now as an adult, I have no rules. I can stay up as late as I want. But I can look back on the time I had a bedtime and see the wisdom from it. Okay, like my parents wanted me to be rested for the next day and, and not like just totally be like, yeah, I can watch Netflix, I can eat all this candy and oh, I'm really regretting it. You can learn from the wisdom of bedtime though you may not have a bedtime. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing looking at the law this morning. It's not a burden that we're trying to put on you. This is a means of experiencing grace, Sabbath. Um, and the last thing, and I think this might be the most important, Sabbath is not church, okay? Right now, we are not Sabbathing, okay? We're worshiping. This is not a Sabbath sermon, or service. Um, so Exodus 31, the passage we just read, comes after Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. I went to college. Um, and Exodus, all those chapters talk about temple construction. It's like, use this soap. Don't use that soap. Build, build this with that. Do that. And in, in the middle of this temple construction, uh, this is what God says to Moses. Tell Israel, above all, keep the Sabbath. Think about the context of that for a second. They're building the temple. They're doing ministry. And God says, still take a break. There are times when you need to take a break from ministry. And that's God-honoring. That's not unholy. It's a command. So right now, this isn't Sabbath. Church is not Sabbath. This is something totally different, okay? So now that, now that we know what Sabbath is and what Sabbath isn't, let's look at this passage and see what it's inviting us into. And the very first thing it's inviting us into is rest. That's a declaration of freedom. This is what, this is what Moses wants you to see. He, wants, he says, rest as a declaration of freedom. And that's found in verses 12 and 13. Listen to that again. Here, here it says, So Yahweh said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign, this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, am sanctifying you. Rest is a declaration of freedom. That phrase that comes at the end of verse 13, that you may know that I am Yahweh, that's found again and again throughout the book of Exodus. Uh, but it's, it doesn't say I'm Yahweh who's sanctifying or transforming you. It says I am Yahweh who brought you up out of Egypt. The greatest act of salvation in the Bible up to this moment is God's rescuing of his people from slavery in Egypt. They found themselves in a bad neighborhood. They had a terrible dictator who was over them and they were enslaved. They were stuck and God moved heaven and earth to rescue them. He saved them and he destroyed their enemies. It, it, was, it was a great moment of salvation and now he's taking them into the wilderness and he makes this amazing statement. I am Yahweh and you're expecting him to say who's, who brought you out of Egypt, but he says this, I'm Yahweh who's transforming you. God is not content to just save you and drop you in the desert. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is a full process where God rescues you from your sin and he takes you all the way. And Sabbath is an invitation to experience that. Look at what the passage says about it. This is a sign. What is a sign? 
Signs point to things, okay? This is pointing to the reality that I'm the one who saves you and transforms you. Well, how does Sabbath do that? How does Sabbath point other people to this reality that God is transforming us? Well, think about it for just a second. Who were the people of Israel? They were slaves. Slaves don't rest. Slaves uh, are, work at the, the uh, request, at the coercion of dictators. Slaves can't just say, we're not working today. The fact that they're able to rest is proof positive that God had saved them from slavery. But think about that statement again from a, just a different perspective. Slaves are unable to rest. Are you unable to rest? Are you able to put your phone down? I see some of you checking your phone. Look, New England Patriots have a bye week this week, so ain't nothing happening on your phone, okay? Some of you are just, we're just, we just cannot rest. We can't step away. That's a sign of slavery. And rest is a declaration that you are free. I'm able to walk away. And it's also a means where you get to participate in God's transformance of you. It's saying, hey, here's a reality. I'm no longer a slave. I'm free. The, this, is, this is the wisdom of the late pastor Eugene Peterson. Listen to this. This is so good. I wish I said this. I am busy because I am vain. Let me say that again. I am busy because I am vain. I want to appear important, significant. What better way than to be busy. The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, the heavy demands on my time are proof to myself and to all who will notice I'm important. See, the reason that we're busy is because we've tied our identity to something we should never have done. The value we get from work. The value that others see, man, they're really dedicated. Oh, they are the best at what they do. And God wants you to build into your life a rhythm of stepping away. A rhythm of taking one day out of your week to say, I'm not working today. What does that communicate? See, Israel, they were saved and they were put in the promised land so that all the nations could see what God is like. I mean, look at, look at Deuteronomy 4. This is amazing. This, is, this sums up what the law is supposed to do. Uh, it's so cool. Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 6. Keep them and do them. What's the them and do them? That's the law. That's the instructions God's giving. He says, keep them and do them. Why? For that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there who has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Sabbath is a sign that God is involved and working in your life and that you have something better than status. You have something better than the material things that work can give you. It's meant to be a testimony assigned to a watching world. Here's the crazy thing. Old Testament scholar Peter Gentry points this out. He says that if you were to scour the literature from contemporary cultures in Israel at this time, you will find no mention of Sabbath. Why? It didn't exist. 
No other culture had any idea what a Sabbath was. They didn't do it. The closest culture, the closest thing that had a, a concept of a culture was Egypt. And what they did was they worked 360 days, and then for five days they would party in the desert. And that's the closest thing we have to it. And God is saying, no, do something totally different. Declare your freedom. Declare you're not a slave to this machine. There's something better out there. A God who transforms his people, who takes them out of slavery and walks with them through this transformation. That's the first thing that that this passage is inviting us into, arrest as a declaration of freedom. And as we do that, we're being transformed. And this is how we're being transformed. This is what the text says next. It says, rest as an act of trust in God's word. Rest as an act of trust in God's word. Look with me at verses 14 through 17. And just before we read them, I'm going to say these sound really harsh. But bear with me for a second and we'll unpack it a little bit, okay? Here we go. Exodus uh, 31, 14 through 17. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Moreover, anyone who does work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days you shall work, uh, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath, throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign between me and the people of Israel that in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, that sounds intense, right? Like, take a break or you die. It's like, whoa. Like, we get the whole idea of, like, the punishment must fit the crime from the law. So what in the world is happening here? Turn with me quickly to Genesis 2. There's a ton of Eden speak. A lot of the text that we just read sounds like Genesis. Did you hear it? In six days I made the heavens and the earth. Uh, the Lord took a rest. That, that sounds just like Genesis. Listen to Genesis 2, starting verse 15. The, the Lord Yahweh uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, that word keep is the same exact word in our Exodus passage, keep the Sabbath. All right, so we're already starting to hear there's some echoes here. Keep the Sabbath, keep the garden, okay? You can definitely eat out of any tree in the garden, of, uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's an exact echo. In the day you eat of this tree, you shall, shall surely die. That's what's being said. If you don't keep Sabbath, you shall surely die. What is Moses communicating here? Here's what he's saying. Here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God said, hey, you can have anything you want for food, anything, but not this. And so then the serpent comes to Eve and said, no, look, did God really say that? See, what God was getting at here was that he didn't want you to be like God. You know, that he's trying to hold something good back from you. And Eve believed, and she and Adam ate, and there's nothing magical about the fruit. It wasn't like a magical pomegranate. Uh, what happened was they they experienced evil because they did evil. And as soon as they experienced it, they realized, oh, wow, God wasn't trying to keep something good from me, this knowing the difference between good and evil. He was keeping something evil from me. And look at the chaos that came into their lives as a result of not trusting God's word. It's exactly what's happening in this passage. He's saying, hey, do you trust God enough to take a rest? God says it's good for you. Or do you believe God is withholding good from you? 
Like, God, I, I just need to make the, these, these calls. I just need to do this one thing. Why don't you let me do that? Why are you telling me to take my hands off this? Because you don't want me to be successful. You don't want me to do good. Do we believe that? Or do we really believe that God is trying to, to hold something back that's bad, not good for us? Do we really believe God has our best in mind when he gives us these commands? Look, for some of you, taking a Sabbath is going to cut into your bottom line. It is. Um, and, and, and that's typically what happens when people take rests. In Leviticus 19, uh, they're laying out some Sabbath principles, and this is what they say. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Uh, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. What's that talking about? Well, I got to experience this firsthand this summer uh, Peggy Phillips, I don't know why, she just like gave me some tomato plants. Okay, I don't really like outside. It's, it's fine. But I had all these, and so it was just took forever to like take care of this garden. And so I would pull all the tomatoes, and then I would walk away, and I realized, I'm like, yeah, that took forever. I got them. And look, there's a ton left. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so if I'm around in ancient Israel during this time, I can't go back for it. I need to leave that. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. God is doing good from you not working yourself to the bone. You may not know what that is. Uh, you may not exactly have a clue what he's doing. It may not make any sense. Why, 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 don't I just, why can't I just get all the grapes from my vineyard? It's my vineyard. God is doing other things through your work. All right? Your bottom line is not the biggest deal in the world. It's not. There are bigger and better things for you than, your, than making the most money you can. To make what you can, can what you make, and sit on your can. All right? God has a better plan for you. And that's what he's in. This is, this is also, this is like, this passage is also kind of scandalous for us as a church. Um, Exodus 31, the context of it, like I mentioned earlier, is in the middle of temple construction. It's saying, take a break from ministry. Yeah, if they didn't take a Sabbath rest, would they have built the temple faster? Yeah. Well, it wouldn't have been done better and more excellent if they just worked to the bone and got it done. Wouldn't God be more honored in that? No. He created a rhythm for ministry to be done. And by not trusting him in that, we're saying, God, we know, we, we get this better than you. Yes, you're telling me not to, to work myself to the bone, I, but I'm doing ministry, Okay. So I didn't check out uh, very many seminaries. Like, I'm really I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. And so I just checked out two. And one seminary I went to, uh, I remember this the professor was giving a talk, and he told this really odd story about how his mother was dying, and he went to her graveside and said, Mom, you're going to probably die in a couple of hours, but I got to go because I have to preach. And so I'm not going to be here to watch you go. And she went, that's okay. You're doing ministry. And I remember leaving and just being like, you know, that— that's nice, but that just did not sit well with me, you know? And then I went to the other seminary, the one I went, ended up going to, and uh, I remember, I'll never forget, Russ Moore said to a group of people in a room, he said, look, you may have heard this, this before, that if you take care of your ministry, God will take care of your family. And he said this, I just want you to know, that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil that lots of us have believed. And it's not true. And look, you have a pastor 
who doesn't believe that lie, who's on sabbatical right now modeling this for you, who trusts the church to the creator of the church. Do we do that? And here's just all I'm asking, okay? As a church, do we do a little too much? Like, have we maybe not been thinking about Sabbath, thinking about is this life-giving or is this just I need to keep doing it and I'm busy, busy, busy. Yeah, there's no life here, but I'm going to keep doing it because it's ministry. You may need to take a Sabbath from that ministry. And it's honoring to God. It's spiritual. I know it doesn't sound spiritual to just sit and do nothing. That's honoring to God. He, he wired the universe that way. And that's what this passage closes out at. It says this, hey, rest as children who are imitating their father. That's in verses 17 and 18. And this is a totally scandalous verse. Listen to 17 and 18. Here we go. It, Sabbath, is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're going to read 18. That, uh, that rested and refreshed, rested, that's literally the word Sabbath, God's Sabbath, and that word refreshed literally says this, he caught his breath. Think about it. Moses is trying to paint a picture where you imagine God like this. Because he was working, he was tired. That's scripture. Why, why is God communicating like that? Was God really tired from making the world? No. He's speaking our language. He wants us to see, hey, I'm God. I got this. I rested. Who are you not to rest? And really what, what this is, though, this is a beautiful I- I- invitation to mimic our creator, just like a kid mimics their parents. Uh, I, I have two young boys at home. One of them, ah, so lame, sorry. One of them is, they're both, one of them is at an age where he's imitating me, and it just makes my heart melt. Like, I, you know, the other day I was doing this, and I look over, and Jet's doing that. Oh my gosh, like, let's call it a life. I'm, I'm good. Like, this is it. I could die right now happy. That's the invitation that God is giving you. Bring him joy by mimicking him, by taking rest. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And look, God identifies very, very closely with rest. Jesus, when he comes up on the scene in the beginning of Mark's gospel, he says this, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Think about that for a second. LeBron James, I'm sure, is really great at cribbage, but he does not say, I'm the Lord of cribbage. LeBron James does not identify with cribbage. LeBron James is the Lord of basketball. That's his thing. He does basketball. Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. Sabbath rest is equated to life with God. And, and let me just show you this from Genesis 1. Just listen. This is Genesis. I'm just going to throw this out there. You don't have to write it. You can write it down if you want. Genesis 1.5. There was evening and there was morning day one. Genesis 1.8, there was evening and there was morning day two. Genesis 1.13, there was evening and there was morning day three. Genesis 1.19, there was evening and there was morning day four. Genesis 1.23, there was evening and there was morning day five. Genesis 1.31, there was evening and there was morning day six. Do you see a pattern? Read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done And he rested on the seventh day through all that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
Because on it, God rested from all the work and creation that he had done. What didn't you hear? There was evening and there was morning, day seven. Why? Because there wasn't supposed to be an end to God's rest. That's just who he is. And he's inviting you to experience and enter into that rest. And we didn't trust him. We messed it up. And now he's redeeming it. He's saying, hey, it's back. Yeah, it's, it's just a sample. It's coming one day. But take a day and experience the rest that your soul so desperately needs, that you were created for, that the whole world mimics. And that if you aren't taking a rest, you're not living uh, in reality. This is how the universe was hardwired with a day of rest. If you're not resting, you're not really alive. That's what Moses is saying here. So how do we do this? How do we build rhythms of rest in our life? Well, uh, this is a list. I'm going to explain it. It looks a little confusing. I'm going to add stuff to it. So here we go. First thing I think we need to do, be cool saying no. Okay? Like, just no. All right? Like, that is a great way to start building Sabbath into your life. There's a lot of important things happening. Okay? You may have to say no to important things. If you say yes to everything, you're never going to Sabbath. There's always important things that you can add to your plate. Learn to say no. For the second thing I want to talk about is this idea of plan for Sabbath. Uh, Pastor Timothy Keller wrote an article about Sabbath rest. Some of these, these principles at the, uh, at the end are taken from him. And one of the things he says is when you talk about Sabbath, kind of a natural question afterwards is, well, like how often should we, should we rest? Keller, Keller says that you need to probably have at least one day. At least one day, and really, uh, it wouldn't kill you to have a day and a half. So think about that. Saturday is your day of rest. Let's say you don't have to, it doesn't have to be Saturday, whatever your schedule is. And you have Sunday afternoon. Church activities, that's not rest. Church, Sunday afternoon, that's a day of rest. For most people, that'll probably do it. Well, I say plan for rest because some of you are in seasons of life where this just isn't possible. So some of you are working two jobs and you have to just hustle to make ends meet. Some of you uh, have young kids at home, and if you just take a day and do nothing, people get hurt. Uh, Some of you are students. Some of you are in various seasons. And the wisdom that Keller has is he says this, hey, plan for rest, meaning uh, there's going to be seasons of your life where Sabbath isn't possible. But then he adds this little caveat. He says, if that takes probably two or three years out of your life, you may need to reevaluate some of your life decisions. Like, what are you doing? So, I just leave you with that. Um, next thing that you can do to build a rhythm of rest in your life, a tech detox. Catherine Price wrote a great book called, book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And in it, she says that the average American spends four hours a day on their phone. That's 28 hours per week. That's a part-time job with no benefits and no pay, okay? That's a lot of time. And, and look, uh, 80% of us, we check our phone within the first uh, half hour of being awake. Brett McKay, who's a writer, asked this question, what's the first thing you reach for in the morning? Is it a loved one or is it your phone? Ow! Take a tech detox. Take a Sabbath from your technology. Look, I'm, I'm not saying on your day off you can't veg on your phone. I'm not saying you can't watch Netflix. But I am saying that Netflix CEO Reed Hastings once famously said 
that Netflix's biggest competition is sleep? Yeah. I, I don't think that if your Sabbath is just binging Netflix, that you're really going to be rejuvenated and energized. If it's just that. So be balanced, okay? And don't, don't run too far with that. All right. Uh, but Keller also says there's three types of rest that you need to build into your life. The first one is contemplative rest. Um, set aside time for prayer, worship, and just hearing from God. Set aside time to do that. Um, listen to him. Like this world, I mean, sometimes it feels like we are just in like, we're whitewater rafting without a raft. Like we are just woof, going, get out of the river. Listen to God. Uh, second one is recreational. Do something fun. I know that doesn't sound spiritual. Like I just told you to just go have fun. That is spiritual. You're imitating God when you do that. And recreational doesn't, have to, doesn't mean you have to spend money. I and mean, we live in Missouri. Just go outside, okay? There's like tons of free stuff to do. The last type of rest that we need to build rhythms into is aesthetic rest. Expose yourself to the works of God's creation that refresh and energize your soul. Uh, yesterday, I just picked up the Grapes of Wrath, and I read the first sentence in it. And if I was smart, I could quote it to you right now. But I, I read it, and I was like, yeah, well, that's a great sentence. I felt like alive, right? If that's you, read on your day off. You were like, man, read. That's like work. Know who you are. Find out what energizes you and do that. If you're introverted, don't invite all your neighbors over to Sabbath with you, okay? Don't just know who you are, know what energizes you, and do that. And build these rhythms into your life. Um, and the last thing that we want to do as a church community is pray for Ed and Peggy. So if you look at that, HTTPS colon slash slash. That is a link to their tour journal. Right now, Ed and Peggy are in Israel. And if you look on there, you can see a picture of Ed uh, riding a camel. Super cool. Um, so Ed is, is modeling this right now. Um, and I just want to say, I know probably nobody's worried about it. I'm just being anxious. But I just want to say, like, Ed's not in trouble. I don't want Ed's job. Like, nothing is happening other than the fact that Ed has been here 18 years. He's been faithfully serving this church. He's the type of guy that runs into the burning building, not out of the burning building. And we want to give him rest. We want to, he's modeling this. He's trusting Jesus' church to Jesus. So pray for him. Pray that this time really would be just life-giving for him and Peggy. Um... Yeah, and pray that he comes back energized and ready to serve for all the years God gives him, all right? That's what we're going to do together. We have a leader who's modeling this. Um, and I'll just close with this. I, there's an older, wiser pastor who I've gotten to know a little bit, uh, and he said this to me. He said, Craig, the, the, se- the second best decision I could have made, so after picking my spouse, the best decision that I made was deciding to take a Sabbath through my ministry. Man, think about that. Right now, you guys have the means to build this into your life. Do it. Declare your freedom, show that you trust God's word, and imitate your father and experience his joy by just taking your hands off the wheel for a day. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are inviting us into rest, inviting us to experience your transformation. So God, I pray that we would be um, just good stewards of what you've given us and we would trust everything you've given us to you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.